You're listening to sermons from Christ the Savior Orthodox Church. We're a small but growing mission of the Orthodox Church in America, currently meeting in Brewer, Maine. We'd love to have you join us for service. But until then, here's Father John with this week's sermon. Move in our hearts of master who loves mankind with a pure light of divine knowledge, and open the eyes of our minds to the understanding of your gospel teaching. Implant also in us the fear of your blessed commandments, so that tracking down all carnal desires, we may enter upon a spiritual manner of living, both thinking and doing such things that are well pleasing to you. For you are the illumination of our souls and bodies, O Christ our God, and unto you we ascribe glory, together with the Father who is of everlasting, in our holy, good, and life-creating spirit, now and ever, and unto ages of ages. Amen. Wisdom attend, let us listen to the Holy Gospel. Peace be to all. And to thy spirit. Reading is from the Holy Gospel according to John. At that time, Jesus came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and so Jesus, wearied as he was with his journey, sat down beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well? and drank from it himself, and his sons and his cattle? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. The water that I shall give him will become a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water, that it may not thirst, or come here to draw. Jesus said to her, Go. Call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and he whom you now have is not your husband. This you said truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you say that in Jerusalem is the place where a man ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, The hour is coming, when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such the Father seeks to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming, 
he who is called Christ, when he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But none said, What do you wish? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the city and said to the people, Come, see a man who said to me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the city and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples besought him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have, food to, I have food to eat of which you do not know. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him food? Jesus said to him, My food is to do the will of him who sent me, and to accomplish his work. Do you not say that I yet four months, and then comes the harvest? I tell you, lift up your eyes, and see how the fields are already white for harvest. He who reaps receives wages, and gathers fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He said to me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his words. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of your words that we believe. We have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Glory to thee, O Lord. Glory to thee. Amen. Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please sit. Today is the fifth Sunday of Pascha. It's so, it always catches me by surprise. Lent seems so long, and Pascha seems so very, very short. It just seems to fly by, when in actuality, the season of Lent and the season of Pascha are identically the same. We celebrate Christ's Pascha for as long as we were in Great Lent preparing for Pascha. But here it is already, the, very, the fifth Sunday of Pascha. The fifth Sunday. And the church gives to us again another vivid illustration, graphic, vivid illustration of the difference that Christ's resurrection means for the cosmos, for you and for me, for all of creation. The difference that the resurrection makes. First the incarnation of Christ, now his resurrection. As you know, um, in these six Sundays, the church sets before us people and events that help us to understand, to get a perspective, or to have a new viewpoint on the resurrection of Christ. Gives us a new vantage point from which to try to comprehend the significance of Christ's resurrection. We had that Sunday where unbelief was turned into believing. Doubting was turning to belief. Mourning was turned to gladness. Paralysis was turned into freedom and strength. And today, 
Those who hungered and thirsted after righteousness are now having their thirst quenched and they are filled. They are filled with the knowledge of the true and the living God. Their thirst and their hunger is fulfilled. Today, Christ meets a woman at a well in Samaria and a miraculous thing takes place. She possibly leaves her pail or her bucket or her jar empty, empty of water, but her heart and her mind is filled. It is now filled with the grace and the knowledge and the truth of God. This was no ordinary well that Christ came to sit beside. It was not an ordinary well that the woman of Samaria came to draw water from. It is Jacob's well. It is an ancient well, a very deep well, 135 feet deep now. It was deeper many, many thousands of years ago. I guess they say, archaeologists say that as some debris has filled in and it has settled in there, so it's not as deep as it once was. It is a very historic well. It is there to this day. It still produces water. Right now, it is housed in a Greek Orthodox church dedicated to St. Fotini. Fotini is the Samaritan woman. Fotini, by the way, means enlightened. She is enlightened on this day. Photos, light, Fotini, the enlightened one. So this is what happens today when Christ sits by Jacob's well. It is Jacob, as you know, Jacob is the son of Isaac. Isaac was the one who was nearly sacrificed by Abraham on the mountain until at the last minute a ram was provided. And so Isaac continues to live. Jacob is the son of Isaac. Jacob was the twin brother of Esau. Jacob was the one who outfoxed Esau in getting from him the blessing and his inheritance. Um... Jacob is the one who was weaker and younger, and yet was the one who, who supersedes Esau, who was older and stronger and more aggressive. In Genesis 25, we hear the interpretation by Moses that in Rebekah's room were twins, Jacob and Esau, two races of men that were to emerge upon the earth, those who followed and trusted in God, those who trusted and believed only in themselves. And oftentimes, throughout the scriptures, throughout God's revelation to man, we see this pattern happen again and again and again. The lesser shall rule the older. The weaker shall rule over the stronger. This certainly was the case with Jacob and Esau. Jacob is the one who would later become being named Israel by God. Israel means the one who contends with God. Hasn't that been the case throughout the centuries, throughout the millennia? He is called Israel. This well is located in the middle of the territory, the middle of the land that Jacob gave to Joseph as an inheritance. Joseph, who was younger and weaker, was sold into slavery by his brothers, would later become the ruler of Egypt under Pharaoh. And he would later become the benefactor of Israel and all his kin, his tribes, cattle, sheep, goats, everything, the nation of Israel. 
He would become their savior in a sense by keeping them from poverty, famine, uh, and, and, and uh, possibly uh, you know, from death, from starvation. It is, this well is very close to actually where Joseph is buried, where he is tombed today. So here is this ancient, ancient well that is still there that we can visit. The Samaritan woman was well aware of this legacy. She was well aware of this history. She claims it to be her own. Our fathers. Are you greater than our fathers who dug this well, who drank from this well, and their cattle and all of their people as well? She claimed this to be her own inheritance, this legacy, this lineage, this genealogy. What she couldn't know, of course, as a Samaritan, was that this was also part of Christ's lineage. It was also part of Christ's genealogy. All these people, these patriarchs, going all the way back to Abraham, were part of his genealogy in the flesh. We hear in the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew, we hear in the reading on the Sunday before Nativity, all those, four, those three sets of 14 generations that trace Christ's humanity all the way back to the patriarch Abraham. Three sets of 14 generations. Now, of course, of his divine nature, his divinity, there is no genealogy, of course. It only applies to his human nature. Even though we understand him and know him to be the Son, there is no genealogy for Christ's divinity. He is the pre-eternal Son of God, of one essence with the Father, by whom all things were made, co-eternal with the Father. In every icon of Christ, you probably can't see it very well from where you're sitting, in every icon of Christ, there is this nimbus, the halo, around the head of Christ. It's a, a quatrefoil nimbus. You can't see the fourth arm of the cross, but the three-arm uh, cruciform of this nimbus, first of all, signifies the Holy Trinity, of which Christ is one. But they also, in every icon of Christ, you have these three Greek letters. Ho, on, well, it's, it's Omicron, Omega, and Nu. Ho, ho, on, which means the being one. Ho is the article, but on is being, the being one. Or a better translation would be the one who is. The one who is. This is exactly the same response that God gave to Moses on the top of Sinai when he said, what is your name? And God said to him, I am the one who is. So this, we have this history attached with Jacob's well in Samaria. Christ is returning to Galilee from Jerusalem. In this, in this gospel passage that we have just read this morning, he is returning to Galilee from Jerusalem after having kept the Passover with his apostles. So Samaria is right in the middle between Judah and Galilee. Christ is also, in some respects, withdrawing from Jerusalem because many people were beginning to believe in him because of his teaching. And Christ needed to withdraw to avoid the, uh, the hostility of the scribes and the Pharisees. 
So he was on his way back to Galilee. And he stopped here in the middle of his journey in Samaria in the town of Sychar, at Jacob's well. Now, it happened this time of the year. Right about this time of the year is when this event took place. It is after the Jewish Passover. It is now when the patches of, uh, of shrubs and trees are beginning to put forth new shoots. They're beginning to put forth new flowers and fruit. If you happen to be away from the River Jordan, or away from the streams that rush through the valleys between the hills and the very mountainous and, and rocky terrain of Samaria, it can get very hot, very dry, very dusty, very fast. So it is a hot day. Christ stops by Jacob's well for a respite. And then comes a woman from Samaria, St. Fortini. And she comes to draw water for her household. She comes in the middle of the day, not in the morning or in the evening, like every other woman in Samaria and Sychar came to draw water for their daily household needs. She came in the middle of the day. And the conversation is very, it's very ironic how it begins. Christ says to her, give me a drink of water. This was exactly the same beginning to a conversation that Abraham's servant had with Rebekah, when he was sent to find a wife for Isaac, goes to a well, and he says, the woman that says to me, I will give you a drink, will be the one that God has chosen for to be a bride to Isaac. Give me a drink of water. And she says, yes, master, I will give you a drink, and you and all of your cattle with you. It also calls to mind a conversation that Jacob himself had when he knew that it was Rachel that he was to become his wife. Meeting her at a well, he was escaping the wrath of Esau, and he was told to go live with his uncle Laban until Esau's anger uh, subsided. He was on a journey to go live with his uncle Laban in a far country, and he comes to this well, and, he, and in the middle of the day, Rachel comes to water her flock and all of her cattle. And, and Jacob knew that that was the woman that God wanted him to marry. So the, this conversation with Christ and this American woman starts just the same way. It reaches back to something that happened thousands of years ago. Please give me a drink. And then she says, you have no box to draw with. How are you going to get water? And the conversation proceeds. Why did this happen in the middle of the day? The ninth hour. The ninth hour is 12 noon. Uh, the hours of prayer kind of are like watches in a ship. The first hour is 6 a.m., the third hour is 9 a.m., the uh, sixth hour is 12 a.m., and the ninth hour would be uh, 3 p.m. Uh, so it's the ninth, ninth hour of the day, so it's high noon, and it is hot. And here comes the Samaritan woman. Why does she come in the middle of the day, and not with all the other women of Sikar? Well, Christ dives into this curiosity. It's not a curiosity to him. He cuts to the chase when he says to her, call your husband and bring him here. And she says, I have no husband. And he says, you're right. You've had five husbands. And the one you have right now is not your husband. She comes in the middle of the day because she's ashamed. She is scorned by all the other women in Sikhar. She's a scandalous woman. She's living with this man. And she had five husbands before him. That's why she comes in the middle of the day, to avoid their scorn, 
to avoid their ostracization so she could be here in peace. But then, of course, when Christ zeroes in and really discovers where she's at in her life, she's living with this man. <laughs> it, was, it was this kind of situation would be scandalous to us just a few years ago. Now living together is a norm. I think I saw a statistic the other day that the marriage rate in America has dropped 60% in the last 50 years. 60%. Only 30% of Americans are married. You can see the distortion and the destruction because of it. So anyway, Christ cuts to the chase and he gets to the heart of the issue. This woman is a scandalous woman. She's unrighteous. She's just living with this man and had five husbands. Her life is a mess. And the, quickly, the conversation quickly pivots now to faith. It quickly turns to faith. As you know, Jews and Samaritans hated each other. It's just like the Jews and the Palestinians today, and largely for the same reasons. The Palestinians would say, we were here first. We were here before you came from Egypt and occupied the land. We belong here and you do not. The Samaritans claimed to be there, the original inhabitants of the land, because they preceded the divided kingdom under David. So they say, our possession of this land is older than yours. Then, I can't remember what time period it was, I think it was the 3rd or the 4th century B.C., Syria, the northern kingdom, was conquered by the Assyrians. The Israelites were dragged away into captivity into Babylon. When they finally were able to return, Assyrians had occupied the land. And when they came back, they began to intermarry. They began to dilute, uh, if you will, their national identity their identity as being Hebrews, as being Israelites, the children of Israel. They began to adopt their gods. So what you saw going on was syncretism and ecumenism on the part of the Samaritans. To a Jew, Samaritans were half-breeds. Half-breeds in race, half-breeds in faith. That's why there was no connection with Samaritans and Jews. Jews would oftentimes try to travel all the way around Samaria if they could to avoid it from going into it from being defiled by going to Samaria. So the conversation now turns to faith. And of course, the Samaritan woman appeals to the tradition of her heritage, her lineage. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say it's in Jerusalem. And Christ is very clear. Christ is very direct. He said, you worship what you don't know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. Christ is rejecting this syncretism. Christ is rejecting this ecumenical type of mindset when he said that God has chosen to reveal himself to the world through the Jews. And he acknowledged to her directly that he is the Christ. This is not something that Christ often did in the Gospels. He acknowledged he is the Christ. So something incredible happened at this well. This woman's life was transformed. She came to this well thirsting after God. She goes away proclaiming God. She goes to her household and to the entire village of Sakai. All that Christ had done for her, how he revealed himself to her, and how this is the Christ. And everyone flocked to him to hear him to, and, and to, to, to hear his teaching. Stay with him two more days. 
St. John Chrysostom observed, he lauded St. Plotini in a sermon of his uh, on this day. He said, when she found out who he was, she listened and attended to him. He said, there's a lot more than you can say about the Jews, who when they were aware of who he was, asked nothing of him, certainly were not unwilling to be taught uh, and learn anything from him, and instead they only insulted him and drove him away from him, and drove him away from them. He said, don't criticize her or fault her, because she did not fully perceive Christ at the well. He said, neither did Nicodemus. So he said, if she, a Samaritan woman, was willing to learn and accept and attend to Christ, what excuse will we have who belong to the church? 2,000 years later, who know who he is. What excuse will we have? So many of the fathers say that Fotini is the first evangelist of the church. Her preaching in Sikar and all of Samaria preceded the preaching of the apostles after the day of Pentecost. It preceded the descent of the Holy Spirit. She was active and preaching Christ uh, before that great day of Pentecost when all the apostles were sent into the world to preach the good news of the kingdom. We are to be like her. We are to be like Saint Fotini, who, after realizing who Christ is, realigned her faith and her life so that it would conform to the gospel of Christ Jesus. She realigned everything she knew, everything she believed, everything that she was, so that it was in conformity to the gospel of Christ Jesus. And we must do the same. We must realign everything we think, everything we believe, everything we do, so that it conforms to the gospel of Christ Jesus. We must avoid the pitfalls, the two pitfalls of ecumenism and, and um, what did I say before, when you mix religion? Uh, yeah, right, uh, syncretism. We have to avoid those two pitfalls and neither turn to the right or to the left that keep our eyes focused on Christ and his kingdom. Saint, uh, not Saint, Elder Thaddeus, wonderful, holy Serbian monk, he lived between the, the World War I and World War II, has this wonderful book, which I really urge you to read. It's called, Our Thoughts Determine Our Lives. And it is wisdom that comes from a lifetime of holiness, a lifetime as a monk. He reads like Saint John Chrysostom, the wisdom is just as deep. He's not as poetic or, or he's not as prosaic as John Climacus, but his words are, ring so true and they are so deep and they are so valuable to expose yourself to. But he says this, Christianity is not a religion. Christianity is the end of religion. Christianity is uh, the revelation of life and of the and the heavenly kingdom of eternal life. And he said, and this human nature it becomes part of the mystery of the Holy Trinity. Human nature becomes part of the mystery of the Holy Trinity. And he says, and we don't even appreciate this. We have no conception or concept of this because we still cling and cleave to the things of this world. 
So my brothers and sisters today, let us laud Saint Totini, as Saint John Chrysostom did, as all the fathers of the church have done, as the church universal has done, as one who believed in Christ, who proclaimed Christ, who died for Christ. Potini, after her conversion, after her proclamation of the gospel throughout Sikar and all Samaria, she converted her two sons, her five sisters, and after the martyrdom of Peter and Paul, she, I don't know why, but she went to Carthage in North Africa, where she spent many years proclaiming the gospel, until at one point the Romans arrested her, her two sons, her five sisters, dragged them away to Rome. And they suffered for Christ in Rome, under Nero. Fortini was put to death by being thrown down the well. She lost her life. She suffered Christ by being tossed down into a well to drown. What a shining light, the enlightened one. She sets for us to receive Christ, to behold the resurrection of Christ like the facets of a diamond, to behold it, to look at all of its facets, to learn and get new perspectives of what it means for us and for the cosmos. And may we, like St. Putini, shine, glow, and have our hearts welling up with living water that we may share it to everyone who is around us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You can listen to more sermons and learn more about us by visiting our website at orthodoxmain.org. Thanks for listening, and until next time, God be with you.